turning again in God's Word to 2 Peter chapter 3, the verse 18. Second Peter 3, the verse 18, which will be our text today. Peter is warning about those who are unlearned and unstable, who rest the Scriptures unto their own destruction. But the people of God, the believer, the true child of God, ought not to be like that. We'll read verse 17 as well. Peter says, There are ye therefore, beloved, Seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. And then the great antidote, as it were, to counter that is in verse 18. And this is where we ought to be as believers, as those who love the Savior. But grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ— to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us seek the Lord in prayer and let us pray for his blessing uh, to be upon us. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for thy goodness toward us. We thank thee for the Savior. We pray, Father, that Thou would enable us to be like Christ. He is our great example. May we imitate Him. We realize because He is Thy pure and spotless Son, the perfect Lamb of God, that we can never be perfect. We can never be pure or spotless. But, Father, He is our great example. May we imitate Him. May we desire to be like the Savior, but we realize to be like Christ, we must know Christ. We must grow in grace and in knowledge of Christ. And we see here in this text, that is what Peter is telling the church. We are to grow in grace. We are to grow in knowledge of Christ. And Father, as we turn to this text today, and as we consider what is found here, we pray that I would apply it to our hearts Father, may it be the desire of all of us here, and as uh, we pray collectively now, and even as we may pray individually, as we come to the commencement of this sermon, we pray, O oh God, the desire would be in each of our hearts that we would personally grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. O oh, Father, we pray that would give us the desire to do so. Oh, that every believer ought to have that desire to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. Father, give us that desire today, and as we come to look at these things, as we come to expound Thy Word, we pray we would do so with hearts that are prepared and hearts that are eager to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. Father, we pray for those outside of Christ that they too would have this desire. But first, they must know the Savior as their Savior. First, they must recognize their own sin and their own wickedness. They must realize that Christ is the only one who can redeem. 
Father, convict them of sin. Draw them to the Savior, that they too may grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, apply thy word to our hearts. We pray thou would cast away distraction. Give us a blessed time here with this verse, this text. We pray our souls would be fed by thee. Through the working of thy spirit, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. John Leighton Wilson was born in South Carolina in 1809. He entered seminary at the age of 22, desiring to know the blessing and the presence of God above all else. He arrived home with the desire to be a missionary to Africa. His father refused to give him his consent, and he responded to his father and said, Father, would you pray with me? And they prayed together, and John Wilson recited the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as the Father was brought face to face with the embracing love of God and the purpose of God as expressed in the Lord's Prayer, the will of God, he slipped his arm around his son and he said, Son, you can go. You can go. The knowledge of God as seen in the Lord's Prayer had a very real impact upon him. And as this young man studied, he heard about two sisters in Savannah. They desired to be missionaries, but the board had refused them. His first sight of one of the sisters, Jean, came when she was teaching a Sunday school in Savannah. Two weeks later, he had such a knowledge of her that she was now the nearest and dearest object to his heart on the face of the earth. They both went and served the Lord together in Africa, and the rest is rather interesting history. But in both of those accounts concerning this individual, knowledge made a difference. Knowledge of his future wife, and knowledge of Christ, and the will of Christ. And in this world, knowledge makes a difference. We know that. We know that. If you were going to apply for a job to teach physics in the university, but yet your background was in nothing but nothing concerning physics at all. You had no qualifications whatsoever. You would be deemed as not having the necessary knowledge, the necessary qualifications to teach such a subject. Having that degree in physics, having that knowledge of physics makes a difference. And spiritually speaking, the knowledge of Christ makes a difference to the believer. In 2 Peter chapter 3, the apostle is giving an instruction and direction and command to his readers. They were to go grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Scripture, this is the last verse of Peter's epistle. His last recorded verse, the last verse we have here that he penned under the inspiration of God. And when we think of Peter as a man, he was a man who would one day die, as tradition records, he would die a cruel death. But before all of that, like a good shepherd taking care of the flock, he makes preparations for his departure and encouraging them in spiritual matters. He desires them to be right with God, to have that right relationship with the Lord.
And he commends the gospel to them, that which is of the highest authority. He desires that their faith would be steadfast, and they might, they might persevere in their obedience to Christ. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in this world, knowledge is set in high esteem, especially the knowledge of man. And the knowledge of Christ is despised by this world. These believers were to grow in their faith, and part of that involved an increase in what they knew about Christ. They would grow in grace, and they were to grow in knowledge of Christ. Peter, in 2 Peter 3, is dealing with the last days. In verse 15, he speaks about the wisdom of Paul, and in the writings that Paul had penned under the inspiration of God, and about those who were unlearned and unstable, who rested those Scriptures, or to give another translation, perverted those Scriptures unto their own destruction. And verse 17 highlights the necessary position in all of this for the Christian, one of steadfastness, one who is not to be led away by the error of the wicked, but one who is to be strong and not to fall from steadfastness. And so the apostle outlines in light of the last days, in light of this world ending, in light of the errors that will creep in uh, to the church and to doctrine, in regard to all these things, the earth will one day dissolve, and we're not to sit back and just wait for it, but we're rather to grow closer to Christ. That's our aim, and to be steadfast when those with error come upon us, we are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the well-known Welsh preacher who labored in England for many, many years, but he was a Welsh preacher, he said the total sum of Christian duty, it expresses, I say perfectly and concretely, everything which you and I are called to do in this Christian life. Speaking of this verse, the total sum of Christian duty, everything we're to do, Everything we're called upon to do as Christians is summarized and expressed in this verse. The Christian has received new life in Christ. They've been born again. You've been born again by the Spirit of God. There's been that change, that change in your life and in your heart, and there is to be then that growth spiritually. The Christian is to grow in grace and in the knowledge of of Christ. And I want us to consider this morning this growth specifically in the knowledge of Christ, uh, but it is a growth that is certainly connected to grace. And our title this morning is very simple, Knowing Christ. Knowing Christ. This is the desire of the apostle here, to know Christ, for his readers to know Christ, for you and I to know Christ, to know Christ more and more and more. And firstly, we see the general exhortation of knowing Christ, the general exhortation of knowing Christ. Peter is exhorting us to know Christ. We are being exhorted by the Word of God to know the Savior, to grow in that knowledge of Him. And it is vital for us to know Christ because of who Christ is to us. In John 1 verse 17, and John said, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. 
Grace and truth have their great source in him. In James 1 verse 17, James says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. The knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ, all knowledge comes from Him. Comes from Him. Peter's speaking here of this great, wonderful knowledge, a knowledge of Christ, Christ who is the great subject of the Scriptures. The purest knowledge in this world is that knowledge of Christ, that knowledge of the Savior. Do you desire knowledge of the Savior today? Do you desire to grow with Him, to grow in Him? Does that knowledge of Christ fill your heart with joy? Does it fill your heart with gladness? Does it fill your heart with love for Him? The Puritan preacher Thomas Adams has said this, Let no knowledge satisfy us, but that which refers us to Christ. Let no knowledge, the knowledge of this world, let it not satisfy us, but only that knowledge that brings us closer to Christ. May it be that knowledge that satisfies us. Paul said in Philippians 3 verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. His desire was to know Christ. And if we go back uh, to Philippians chapter 3, the passage we uh, read as we commenced our worship of God this morning. Philippians chapter 3, the apostle is speaking about confidence. Those who know Christ, those who are the true believers, have no confidence in the flesh. Their salvation did not come from who they are or what they could do. Rather, the confidence for their salvation is in Christ. And Paul speaks of this at verses uh, 3 uh, down uh, to verse 8, verse 9, verse 10. He's speaking of his own background. If anyone could be saved because of who they are and what they could do, it was Paul. He was religious. He was zealous. He was faithful. He believed he was serving God. He believed he was blameless in all that he did. In verse 7, he says, these things were gained to me. He thought he was doing well. He thought he was godly. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Compared to Christ, these things were nothing. Verse 8, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. All these things, his background, his heritage, his zealous and faithful labors, all that he did were worthless compared to Christ and compared to the knowledge of Christ. This morning, as we consider what Paul says here, how many can be just like Paul? And they can say who they are and the great things they had done. I could look through what Paul is saying here in a certain way. I can connect with what he said because I was brought up in a Christian home. I was brought up in the Free Presbyterian Church as a, as a young boy, hardly missing a service. I certainly didn't miss three in a row until COVID decided to come and pay us a visit. There were services where 
shut down, etc., etc. Born into a gospel-preaching church, born into a Christian home, attended a Christian school from a very young age, blessed with all this privilege of the gospel and all this privilege of hearing about Christ and the knowledge of Christ. But like Paul, all this religious activity and religious knowledge is nothing without Christ as your Savior. Nothing without Christ as your Savior. Oh, how you can fall into these verses like Paul has. Great religious faith, so it seems. Great zeal in that faith, so it may seem. But yet, the Lord knows your heart. Is it a heart that loves Christ? A heart that is repented of sin? A heart, a heart that knows that Christ has redeemed you and Christ has saved you? A heart that desires knowledge of Christ to walk closer to Christ day by day. Christ is the only Savior. Paul said to that Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. He said to Timothy, if we turn uh, to uh, Timothy's epistle, the epistle Paul wrote to Timothy, the verse 15, and that from a holy child thou wast known, and that from a child thou wast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy had knowledge of Christ. He'd been taught of Christ. But notice what Paul says here. They're able to make thee wise unto salvation, to give thee the knowledge of salvation. But the experience of salvation is something else. It comes from that repentance, that belief, that trust in Jesus Christ alone. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Do you desire that knowledge of Him? Have you received that knowledge of Him regarding your own salvation? we think of the knowledge of Christ, yes, it's a knowledge of salvation. Paul preached, and he said to the church of Corinth, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the greatest knowledge that this world could ever have. Paul, though he knew human literature, though he had a vast knowledge of things in this world, his priority was that the church of Corinth, those people that he went in to preach, would know nothing else but Christ and Him crucified. Because it was the greatest knowledge. And Paul himself had that spiritual and that experimental knowledge of Christ that he valued above all things. Knowledge that he desired to communicate, that he desired to preach, because these unbelievers, these young believers, whoever they may have been, needed to know Christ needed to grow in Christ. The knowledge of Christ, growing in the knowledge of Christ is of absolute necessity to our spiritual good. It's a knowledge that leads to sanctification. We see that in verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter is speaking about growth, that growth or that sanctification, 
that work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness, to flee sin, to be closer to Christ. We grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. We're being sanctified. We're being sanctified. Oh, to grow in the knowledge of Christ is a place that we ought to be in, a place that we ought to be in. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, My beloved brethren in the Lord Jesus, we must see to it that we ripen in the knowledge of Him. Oh, that this year we may know more of Him in His divine nature and in His human relationship to us, in His finished work, in His death, in His resurrection, in His present glorious intercession, and in His future royal advent. Oh, that we would ripen in the knowledge of Him. And dear believer, is that your desire today? When we think of the knowledge of Christ, Peter's telling us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. Spurgeon is saying that we're to ripen in the knowledge of Christ. I've said that's where we need to be as the Lord's people, growing in knowledge of Christ. Is that where you desire to be? Is that where you want to be? To know more and more of Christ day by day. Is the world's knowledge of greater impact in your life? The knowledge of trivial things? I've known believers who have been taken up with the world's stories and the world's accounts. In the United Kingdom, we had a television show Many years ago, I think, thankfully, it has ended. Um, I think it was called The Jeremy Kyle Show, and it's one of these shows, and uh, maybe it was a bit like Jerry Springer's show. I don't know much about him at all. But these people came with problems, problems in their families, really because of sin. Sin had ripped the family apart, and they came on this show, and uh, they spilled all their dirty laundry, as it were, on public television. And people came to try to help them and to sort the situation out and to resolve this issue. But it was really just entertainment because people wanted to see all that was going on. People were entertained by it, and Christians entertained by it and enjoying it and interested by it. I think our only interest in it should be looking at the sin that has ripped apart families and ripped apart society in many, many ways because of immorality and because of great wickedness and indulging in alcohol and drugs and whatever it is. And it should be a stark warning to us about the dangers of these things, not entertainment, not entertainment. Oh, that we would desire Christ and not the sin and not the wickedness of this world to fill our minds or to entertain us but that Christ would be the center of our thoughts. There's this great exhortation because there are those that will twist the Scriptures, those that will rest the Scriptures and pervert the Scriptures and cause great division. And therefore, because of that, dear believer, what is the great solution to that for us to know Christ, to, for us to know what we believe, for us to know what God's Word teaches? 
when we think of the world ending, the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night, and all uh, these things that will take place in the will of God in future days. How do we live through such things? How do we face such things? Difficult times and how the world will attack those who are believers. Whatever may come in the future, how are we to live through that? By growing in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. This is exhortation. But notice, secondly, the glorious excellency in knowing Christ. The glorious excellency in knowing Christ. The Apostle Paul spoke of this. We've read those verses already. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord. This great knowledge of Christ. And Paul desired it, and Paul knew it, and wanted it, and Peter here is desiring that we too would have this knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of the Savior who is an excellent Savior, the knowledge of a Savior who is an excellent mediator, the knowledge of Christ that leads us to acknowledge who He is. He's our Lord, and He's our Master. He's our great King. He's the head of His church. The knowledge of Christ that leads us to acknowledge that He is upon the throne. The knowledge of Christ that is Paul said, is the unsearchable riches of Christ, those great blessings, those great riches that are past finding out. Dear believer, when we grow in the knowledge of Christ, we're growing in the excellency of that knowledge. When we hear about Christ, when we learn about Christ, let us do so with a holy reverence. Let us do so with respect. Let us do so with a desire that this great, excellent knowledge would bring us closer to our Lord and to our Savior. David Clarkson, one of the Puritans, said, Many will take notice of Christ as a Savior, but not as Lord. But this is to take a view of Christ in an eclipse, to apprehend Christ without His crown. How many desire Christ as the Savior, but they don't want Him as Lord? Dear believers, this knowledge brings you closer to Christ. It is a knowledge that will make you see that Christ not only is your Savior, He is your Lord, and He is your Master, and He is the one who has that rule over you. It is an excellent knowledge, an excellent knowledge. When we think of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, how wonderful it is, how encouraging it is, how comforting it is. When we turn to the Word of God and we read the words of Christ, the words that God has revealed to us and inspired and given to us, oh, how our souls are thrilled, how our souls are lifted up. When we read of Christ being the friend who sticketh closer than any brother, when we read of Christ who will never leave us nor forsake us, when we read of Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and as we learn more and grow more in that knowledge, how blessed it is to us. Oh, when we find our discouragements and when we find our heartaches, how the Savior makes that difference. Dear believer, treasure this knowledge treasure this knowledge. One of the Puritans, Bartholomew Ashwood, said that 
Christ's treasures are bottomless. They're boundless. They're unfathomable. They're inexhaustible. They're never to be wasted or spent. Such is the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And we are to treasure that knowledge. We are to seek that knowledge. We are to love that knowledge. We're to have time for that knowledge. How this world passes by. How this world passes by so quickly, so many things to take our attention of Christ, so little time for Christ. I'm amazed when I look at this world and how quickly things have, or how quickly things can be done today compared to years ago. Yet we have less time for Christ because there's more things to be done. Remember reading in a book about Southern Presbyterians many, many years ago of a preacher in the Southern Presbyterian Church in the United States of America. This is probably the 1600s thereabouts, the early days of the United States. And he was preaching in a particular area. And the congregation came and they, they walked to the meeting. And they sat and they gathered and he preached. And then they had some fellowship together and food together. And then he preached again. And as darkness was coming upon them, they had the closing song and they ended the service and they went their way home. It was all day. It's not merely just an hour in the morning or an hour in the evening. It was all day spent in the fellowship of God's people and the preaching of the Word of God was much longer also. If I remember rightly, I think one of the sermons had 30, 40 headings. I only have four this morning by comparison, but 30 or 40 headings. I'm not sure if a few of those were like a sentence to explain or whether it was five pages to explain, uh, but this morning we're on point two of four, not point two of 30 or 50 or 60. There was so much preaching. There was so much to be said. And they spent all day very little else to do. And they spent all this time. Yet today, we can get to church in 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 5 minutes, depending how fast you drive. And we spend time and we go home and there's so much to do and so much during the week to take our minds off Christ. But yet we look back to those simpler times where people just spent all day, all day, and long sermons. Long preaching might not be greatly beneficial for our attention spans. I think there needs to be a great balance there, but yet there was this desire within their hearts to be at the worship and to be at the house of God and to hear the preaching of His Word, to hear the knowledge of Christ that they might grow. Oh, the excellent knowledge of Christ. And dear believer, we're to desire that knowledge. We're to desire all that that knowledge implies to us. We're to learn of Christ and learn who He is and learn what He has done for us. Become better acquainted 
with the Savior. This is what Peter is saying. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't be a stranger to Christ. Don't be one who knows nothing about Christ. Grow in Christ. Grow in this excellent knowledge. And then thirdly, I want you to see the gracious experience of knowing Christ. The gracious experience of knowing Christ. We experience this growth in our knowledge of Christ through faith in the Spirit of God. It is through prayer. It's through the Word of God. It is through faith. If we turn to Ephesians chapter 3, and the Apostle Paul here deals with a subject very similar, basically the same. Ephesians 3 verse 17 his great prayer for the church at Ephesus, for those believers, was this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. His desire was that these believers in Ephesus would grow, that Christ would dwell in their hearts, that they would have that knowledge of the love of Christ, with the great result being they would be filled with all the fullness of God. They would be filled with grace. They would be filled with godliness. They would be witnesses for the Savior. And this knowledge of Christ that Paul is speaking about here, Christ dwelling in their hearts, knowing the love of Christ, he speaks in verse 17 of being rooted and grounded in love. And those two words emphasize two particular structures. When we think of being rooted, we think of trees. When I was in Australia many, many years ago, I went for a road trip with my friend. We went from uh, South Australia uh, right across the south coast to the west. Uh, on my way back, it was a 24-hour drive, uh, wheels spinning, uh, plus your stops, plus your overnight stay. It was quite long, and I did that on my own. But on the way there, there's a friend with me, and we stopped off at various sites. And one of the things that he wanted to do was to see these trees. I wasn't very interested in that, but he wanted to see these trees. And I'm glad he did, because I would have driven past and never went. But it was amazing. There was this walkway that you went up, and you're walking many feet in the air uh, through these trees. It was a wet day. It was like being back in Northern Ireland. Uh, but the size of the trees were, it was absolutely tremendous. These tall trees, and many of them, it was amazing to see. And they were just sitting on the ground. No, they weren't. Their roots went into the ground. We know that's what trees and what plants do. Their roots go into the ground. They're rooted well into the ground not just a little bit, but these tall trees, their roots would have went down to strengthen them, to stabilize them, to gain the nutrients that they needed to grow. And Paul here is speaking about Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith that ye being rooted. There would be these roots that would stabilize us and strengthen us, roots that would feed us. Then he speaks about grounded. We can think of buildings. If you go down uh, town and look up at uh, some of those tall buildings. It's amazing to think that, again, they're just sitting on the ground. <laughs> no, they're not. They go into the ground. There's a structure that goes beneath to stabilize the building, to strengthen the building, 
There's a strong foundation. The steel is driven into the ground. It is grounded and firm. And Paul is emphasizing that here. Christ dwells within our hearts by faith, and we are then rooted and grounded in love. There should be love here. And with that love, we're able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that he might be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul here is speaking about an experience of Christ, an experience of Christ not only through his knowledge, but the experience and working of that knowledge within our lives. And as Christ dwells within us, there is this rooting, this grounding, this great foundation of love. And dear believer, when we grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ, there should be a foundation of love, of love. If we turn back to 2 Peter, where in this chapter is Peter taking out his sword or taking out his hammer or taking whatever else out to beat the people of God. He's not. He criticizes those that are unlearned and unstable who pervert the Scriptures, and rightly so. But when he comes to deal with the true people of God, there's this desire here that they would not go that way. This love for them in his heart, in his heart that they would grow in grace, that they would grow in this knowledge. Because he's experienced this growth. It's led to love. Paul speaks about it. There's this love because of Christ. And dear believer, there should be this knowledge. It's not a head knowledge. Yes, we will know things in our minds, but it is a knowledge. The knowledge of Christ is a knowledge that affects our hearts, that affects our lives, that is experienced in our lives. It's a knowledge that is found within our hearts. It leads to love to love. Oh, we all need to grow. We all need to grow in Christ. We all need to grow in love. And our knowledge of Christ leads us to be closer to Christ. And Christ is a loving Savior. He's a caring Savior. He's a compassionate Savior. Oh, that we would learn from Him or that we would learn from him, it brings conviction, the knowledge of Christ. It brings this desire to stand firm, believing that this knowledge is the truth of God. Knowing Christ, experiencing Christ. When we think of ice hockey, I've never played ice hockey, but from what I know, the hockey stick is essential for the game of ice hockey. It's used for offense. It's used for defense. I think in some cases it's used to express frustration because it's smacked off the ground. But it's used normally for offense and defense. And the Word of God, the knowledge of Christ, is like that. It's used for us offensively, for us to speak of Christ and to witness for Christ and to proclaim Christ. It's used offensively for us to defend against those that attack Christ and seek, as it were, to lead us away with their own errors, to fall from our steadfastness. The Word of God 
is absolutely essential. The knowledge of Christ is absolutely essential. If the Calvary Flames went out to play without a hockey stick, no sticks, you'd be thinking, what is going on? They can't uh, pass the puck with their feet in many ways. They're not supposed to do that. How are they going to play that game? They can't. They need their stick. And dear believer, we need the Word of God. We need the knowledge of Christ. Because how can we live for Him in this world? How can we serve Him in this world? How can we uh, defend ourselves and uh, stand firm and have this steadfastness if the Word of God is set aside? We cannot do that. We need the Word of God within our hands, within our minds, within our hearts. We need the knowledge of Christ within our hearts. And this is Peter's desire that this would be the experience of God's people. There would be this constant growth in Christ. Dear believer, do you desire that growth today? Do you desire that blessing that comes from knowing the Word of God? The knowledge of Christ should enable us to grow more and more certain in our faith, to have that firm belief, not a doubt, not wondering whether Christ was real, whether He truly died for us. But this growth in the knowledge of Christ should make us more and more certain. The knowledge of Christ should humble us. It's not a knowledge that fills us with pride. It's a knowledge that humbles us because we realize who we are in the sight of God, lowly, wicked sinners that Christ has had mercy and grace and love toward should humble us. We are nothing compared to Christ. This knowledge should enable us to grow more spiritually and grow more godly. It should encourage us to a more settled reliance on Christ, to rely on Him more and more and not ourselves, and in the difficulties of life, to rely more and more on Christ. The knowledge of Christ should raise His esteem within our minds and our hearts. We should love Him more, we should reverence him more. The knowledge of Christ should cause us to glory in him. It should cause us joy. It should cause us joy. We're not to lean to our own understanding. We're to lean upon Christ. We're to lean upon his knowledge. We're to pray for that increase in knowledge. We're to pray for that knowledge to be applied to our hearts. Dear believer, let your end in desiring that greater degree of the knowledge of Christ be right, not for pride, not to be puffed up in your own mind, not to be admired by men, but that Christ would be admired, that Christ would be glorified, that you would be in that place where the Lord desires you as a believer to be one who is growing in the knowledge of Christ. And then finally and very quickly, we see the great end in knowing Christ. We've mentioned some of those ends in godliness, in humility, for example, in growing steadfast. But there's a great end mentioned at the end of verse 18, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. The great end we have in view here is that of glorifying Christ. We glorify the Lord by growing in knowledge of him. 
Do we have that desire to glorify Christ in all that we do, in all that we say, in our growth in knowledge, in our growth in grace? Do we desire to glorify Him? Peter is speaking of a great experience here, a growth in grace, a growth in knowledge, and he gives glory to the Lord. Is that parallel with our experience? Is that parallel with our desire that our love for Christ will lead to growth, and that growth will lead to Christ-centeredness, and that Christ-centeredness will glorify our God and our Savior. The hymn writer Count Zinzendorf said, I have one passion. It is Christ and Christ alone. In the great knowledge that we could obtain in this world is our passion, Christ and Christ alone. Our passion, the knowledge of Christ and the knowledge of Christ alone. Dear believer, that knowledge, as we've mentioned, will enable us to grow in grace, will enable us to have that closer walk with God, will enable us to be where we need to be as God's people. May the Lord be pleased to speak to our hearts, to draw us closer to Him, that we may love Him more and more, that we may be grounded in that love toward Him, toward each other, and we would grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ, being witnesses to Him, glorifying Him in all that we do. May the Lord bless His Word for His name's sake. Amen. And let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for uh, Thy Word this morning. We thank Thee uh, for this knowledge that we have mentioned here, oh, the knowledge of Christ. We thank Thee it is not a head knowledge, but it is a heart knowledge, a spiritual knowledge. And Father, we pray that We'll be rooted and grounded in love, love for Christ, love for knowledge of Christ, that we would be steadfast in this world, though the world batter us, we would remain steadfast for Thee. Father, we pray that each of us who know and love Thee would desire this knowledge to grow in grace and to grow closer to Thee. Father, we pray that in this growth, there will be that great love, love toward the Savior, love toward His church. We pray, O God, that there will be that glory to Thee in all these things. We pray, Father, for those outside of Christ, that they would have that knowledge of Christ that would make them wise unto salvation. Thy Spirit would convict them of sin and draw them to the Savior that they would then be truly able to glorify Thee. We pray, Father, that Thou would part us with Thy blessing. Bring us to our homes in safety. Bring us again to Thy house this evening to worship Thy name. May the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit rest, remain, and abide with us both now and forevermore. Amen.